Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. Move into year 22 and out of the last two years, unlike any other. And what I camped on as I studied and what I decided on as I prayerfully looked at this and as I had been focusing on this journey to Jerusalem and now that Jesus is in Jerusalem and is about to head, according to the text, to his death for our sin as we see it, it's just one thing for us that I want us to remember. See, when churches have anniversaries, they talk about their history. They talk about the greatness of the ministry. They talk about all that it has done and what they're looking forward to do. And I wanted us to camp in on who is the greatest because when we move forward, I want us to have the proper perspective on are we great or not? Our society is overwhelmed with and obsessed with greatness. MJ or LeBron? That debate goes on and on. Kobe, Kyrie, or Curry? Who? (laughs) You know, that debate, hey, for some it's Brady, or Montana. I know there's somebody like, well, it all depends on the era. Old school, hey. Montana's era, man, they, 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 they could pick you up and drop you on your head. You touch Brady now, you might get thrown out the game. Who's the greatest? They have a commercial out right now, I find it interesting, with the WNBA players. Of they are going to decide to get a drink at a vending machine. And a great player is talking in their head. You've seen it yet. And they're talking about greatness and goatness. We all want to know who's the goat. Who is the greatest of all time? And if you think that's new, I'm going to take you a couple thousand years back to a group that was asking that and didn't just ask it once. As a matter of fact, a society that was based on hierarchy and who was greater than the other. That was a Roman society. And a culture that was obsessed with and that ran on greatness and people were trying and vying for position, greatness. And this morning, I want us to ask And answer that question, who is the greatest? Let me read and then we'll pray. Luke 22, verse 24 through 30. Can you stand with me while I read the word of God? Thank you. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. 
And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Father, as we get into your word, open our eyes and our understanding. Help us to see clearly and hear correctly that we may live wisely. I pray that what we read would would continue to lead to the transformation, oh God, of us becoming more and more like your son, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to set the context here. We know this is now right before Jesus is going to be led away to be crucified. We know what had happened at this time now is that he has entered into Jerusalem and they have now partaken of the Passover, which would be, as we would call, the Last Supper. And Jesus sits down with them And he talks about being desirous of, if you read the text before that, of him him desiring to be able to be with them to do this because he wasn't going to eat of this until he's in his kingdom. He says this, verse 18, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then, of course, we see in all the Gospels, we get recorded, you know, we, we get them recorded in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, tell us the story and give us the account in these different ways and angles. But what John gives us when he gives this story, he gives us a scene in which he shares something else that the others didn't. And I want that context in John 13. And in verses 1 through 15, we get the picture of when they sit down. John gives us a little bit more detail that we see here, that he sits down. The meal there, typically in Middle Eastern culture, you came in, the roads are dusty, you in your sandals, you come in to eat. Someone is a servant there, not a part of the group of the honored guests who would sit and would be at the table to wash and wipe feet. That was the custom. There wasn't anyone there to do that, of course, and none of those disciples were going to find themselves bowing to that because we see here they were too busy trying to figure out who was going to be greatest. This wasn't the first time this happened. If you look back and we see in Matthew 18 and Luke 9, 
in Mark 9, we get this picture earlier on where they were disputing and arguing. This group was always trying to size up who was going to be regarded amongst this group with Christ as the greatest. I always find that interesting. Here you are with the literal goat, the greatest of all time, and you are arguing which of you is going to be regarded as most worthy in his presence. But don't throw them under the bus. We do that too. Man, do we do that. And sad to say, even amongst those who serve in the calling that I'm in, we do it. Sizing up other pastors. Who's greatest? Tell me how many members y'all got. What's the size of your church? What's your budget? Because they're trying to find out who who can be and who will be regarded as the greatest. While we serve the greatest. And so Jesus, as they're sitting there, we know that a dispute arises. Because Luke now is wanting us to understand, he slows the narrative down. Up until this point, you start to get extreme. You start to get lots of detail. Luke is really working in his physician mode in that they tend to pay attention to details. And Luke is starting to give it to you now. And you're beginning to get this picture of this Jesus in his closing hours before his crucifixion. But John also tells us, here's what he says, that that we know this dispute, and it goes something like they start to argue who's the greatest as they're sitting at the table. Jesus is hearing it. He understands. We've been here before. As a matter of fact, the, the, the last time you guys did this, and we only get it recorded twice. We can't guarantee this was the only two times they argued. How many of us know we don't get anywhere near the full picture of those years that Jesus spent with his disciples? We only get snapshots in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, at that meal that night, you don't get everything that happened. You get snapshots. You don't get all of the conversation. So we don't know a lot, but we know what God wants us to know. And so we get here that they begin to dispute. They begin to argue. Here it is again. The last time he had this happen, he he called the child and brought them in the middle of them and said, listen, listen, you talk about wanting to be greatest unless you're like them. And I'm going to mention them later. Unless you're like them, unless you're like this child, um, 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 you won't understand greatness. Here we are again. Obviously, they didn't get that. What they also missed was the beginning before he sat down with the dinner in Luke 22, and he says, I earnestly desired to be with you and to have this meal before I suffer. They missed that. He's talking about his impending death, and they're still trying to figure out who's going to be regarded as the greatest. Can you imagine if that was you? You are sharing your heart. You're about to leave. I know they didn't get it. I know it went over their heads. But just understand the scenario. And so they begin, and Jesus, according to John, 
gets up from the meal, he is at the honored spot. He is at the leader spot reclining around the table. And he gets up. Judah's still there, the one who would betray him. Because if y'all had to have me in your Savior, it would have been a different picture. Because I would have probably taken Judas and thrown him out before I told him, go do what you have to. But that's why I'm not Jesus. And he gets up, disrobes down to his loincloth and picks up a towel and begins to wipe their feet. I know all of them, all the air probably sucked out the room. As the main guest, as the leader, as the one who is leading them in this Passover dinner, gets up and does the most menial and lowest thing. Here they are disputing in Luke over who would be greatest, and we get in John that Jesus gets up and begins to serve in the most menial way you could in their culture in that context. I can just picture it. You go, man, look, look, look. We were with him on the mountain of transfiguration. You want to talk about great? Yo, we, we were, no, well, well, he used me to, do, he called me to do this. They were disputing over who was going to be regarded as greatest. I wonder what they were using as their criteria. Like we do. And then he gets up. Watch, watch. Peter is just like, look, yo, you're not, you, you're not washing my feet, Lord. You're not. I was like, nah. He's, he's like totally embarrassed. Nah, you're not. He's like, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Of course, he didn't fully understand Jesus was talking about. There's not just a ceremonial cleansing, but he was talking about Peter. I, you know, hey. If you are not washed by me, because he was about to do that, which would, of course, cleanse them from their sins, you have no part of me. Peter being the extreme dude that he is, always extra. Well, then just not my feet, Lord, all of me. He thought he was being spiritual. He didn't realize he totally missed it. You know, we got them friends, them folk that be talking like they're really spiritual, and everyone giving them the side eye like, you don't get it, do you? And then, of course, he finishes and says, do you know what I have done to you? And I love that when he says, not for you, to you. And what did he say? Is that if I be in, Lord, if I be in master, you've called me teacher and Lord, and you are correct. And if I, being rabbi and Lord, can do what I just did, you can do what you, I mean, you can do that to one another. I don't know at what point in the story we get him shifting to this other part because it's the same meal. The Gospels record the same meal. Luke doesn't record that, not because it didn't happen. That wasn't Luke's focus. And so now you go, okay, so he washed their feet, but we also get him now leaning into this part, and he says to them as he starts off, the king of the Gentiles. I want two areas I want us to see today as now we have the context. I want, 
I want us to look at, make sure that I say it correctly, I want us to look at greatness measured in our world and two, greatness measured in the kingdom. That's it. Greatness measured in our world, greatness measured in our kingdom, and then to answer that question, who is the greatest? And so now Jesus leans in. That example, you have everyone's attention. He asks them in John, I mean, he shows them in John, rather, he shows them what greatness looks like, and then we get instruction here on what it looks like. Greatness measured in our world. I have number one, it's the disregard for betrayal. See, before he answers this, if you look in the text just a little bit before this, Jesus says there is one of you here that is a betrayer. So here, let's understand this. A dispute arose about who would be the greatest, but just before that, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. So they went from inquiring, well, who's it going to be? Which one of us is going to be a betrayer to which one of us is the greatest? What? In the same conversation, Jesus just said, one of y'all will betray me. And if they knew Jesus up until this point, they knew he didn't talk frivolously. And when he made a statement, it was truth. And so one of them was. And so they're looking and they're trying to figure out who that is. And then just a little bit later in the same meal, so who's going to be the greatest? Not realizing that although Judas was the betrayer, and woe to him who would be that betrayer is what Jesus says. But they all in some sense betrayed who Christ is and his character. Why? Because they all were asking about themselves being regarded highly as he was putting himself in a position to be sacrificed for them and had someone already betraying him. So greatness in the world has a disregard for betrayal because it happens all the time. As a matter of fact, many people feel in order to be great, I have to betray somebody. There has to be some collateral damage. Who is going to get betrayed on my way up? Who am I going to throw under the bus? Who am I going to manipulate my way around? Who am I going to betray as I'm trying to be great? Second thing is greatness measured by the world. It is by their own standards. They they argued. They determined. As I said earlier, they totally missed his passionate, self-sacrificing statement. Totally missed it. But they also forgot in Luke 9, 46 and 47, they forgot earlier. Let's just turn to that. They forgot totally. An argument arose among them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? As to which of them was the greatest. (laughs) It's just like, wow. 
But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, in other words, he knew the criteria that they were using to judge greatness, took a child and put him by his side and said to him, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is leading you all is the one who is great. Definition. That should have squashed it. He calls a child, and the child comes. Calls a child, child. Come stand over here. If, if you receive this child, understand this. Unless you were like this child, and how am I like that child? Comes when called. Totally dependent on the one who is entrusted to care for them and realizing that they have a need for that person that called them or that is with them. Okay. And he says to them, hey, you want to be great? The one who is considered least among you, there's your definition. Obviously, it didn't stick because here they are again in Luke 22 asking the same question. And let's not throw them under the bus, y'all. Man, that is us. We size folks. We size them up when we come to church. See how they dressed. See how they praise. How often do they attend? How do they respond to the word of God? How do they act? We done size folk up. And we say, either I'm greater than or not. Greatness measured by our world, disregard for betrayal, develop their own standards. But then he leans in and he, in essence, equates their whole reasoning, thinking, and conversation with worldly thought. He says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. You have to understand what they were saying is that those that are given authority look, I mean, use the authority. They look forward to using it, that they have control, that they have influence, and that they have power. They like it. They exercise that lordship over them. And again, that's not bad of exercising leadership. But he's not talking about the exercising of leadership. He's talking about the heart and the reasoning and the thought that's behind it. Jesus is not attacking you being a leader and also you being a benefactor. A benefactor back then was someone who gave of himself, who gave of his resources for the benefits of others. In some of my reading, I was looking at at that time, sometimes the municipality, as we would know it, would not have enough to care for those that were in need. And so benefactors would rise up. And so they would give of their own when they chose at their whim how much and would give to those in need. That's not bad. Only problem was they knew that when they did that, influence, more wealth, and position and status was theirs. So since benefactors were only those who had the wealth to benefit others, they knew that only the wealthy would get the positions of status and influence, and thus they enjoyed being benefactors. 
something like this today. I give because I know what I'm going to get. I give because now you owe me. I give because now I have status in your eyes. I give because now you know I'm someone of means, of influence, of status. And so now what we get is the giving is not bad and the leadership is not bad. Jesus is not going against those two things. He wants us to be benefactors, helping and giving to people in need. What he's going against is the whole system that this is based on. It is self-serving. And that's what he's hitting at. It's a self-serving system. You are not doing it for the benefit of others. And so we get today folks that are doing social experiments, and you're recording yourself in a social experiment, and I'm just wanting to see how society is going to act. We all see how society is going to act, but in the process, we see how you are coming out looking good. Everybody's patting you on the back. Why do you think Jesus says to the Pharisees, do not let your left know what you're right? Why? Because the issue becomes when you know there is a reward of some kind, whether it's influence, more money, status, how people regard you, you start to think about, like them, Who's going to be regarded as the greatest because all of society does it? They're always trying to jockey to be great. And boy, so what happens here, he says, the Gentiles do that. They use the system to promote themselves and to make themselves look good so they can say, I'm great. And then he transitions. He transitions between. Jesus sets the comparison with his next sentence, but not so with you. I love that. He says, this is how they are, but not y'all. Who's the you? Those sitting around that table. Those who will become those leaders, the apostles. As the church is birthed. And is brought to light. Those that would lead and would eventually come down to even leading us. He said, that's not you. And so we say, when we see people that do things knowing, and you and I can't see it, in their hearts, all they're doing is jockeying for position. I'm giving because I know they'll see it. I'm giving because they'll know that I'm someone that cares. You're not doing it for the fact of it needs to be done and God calls you to do it. You're doing it because how it makes you look. And only you know that. And Jesus says, that's not the person who's going to be in the kingdom. And then he leans into our next one, which is, and watch the terms that Jesus uses, kings, Kings, lordship, authority, that's what he uses for the Gentiles or for the unbelieving world. Look at what he uses now for those who are in the kingdom, but not so with you. Rather, instead of that, rather means, let the greatest among you be as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Jesus changed the terms. 
He says, you want greatness? You want lead? He, he said, you want greatness? You want leadership? He says, number one, greatness in the kingdom is measured again by the child motif. He says, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. You have to understand the culture. Culture back then, the youngest had very little. I know in our culture, in our culture, the youngest is, that's my baby. And he or she gets everything. You're hearing that from a person who was the baby and then was no longer the baby. I was a baby for six years, and I got that. He's the baby. And then my sister came. And then another sister came. And then a brother came. And I went from baby to dead middle, 4-7. And it goes, and there went the way of the middle child. Who are you? You live with us? No, I'm just kidding. But it's that in our culture, the baby is doted upon, and brought, but, but understand, they have very little rights. I remember one day when my dad got his, got his brand, I mean, he is a, he's a Ford guy. My dad is. I, he's, I, every car he's owned since I was born, actually, um, yeah, since I was born has been a Ford, period. I go through all the cars right now. And even right now that he has his truck, it was nice. And when I went to Visit him and see him. I got to ride that behemoth. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is cool. <laughs> but anyway, we get there, and I remember his first truck. And I remember saying with my brothers, I said, man, when Dad decides to pass this on in his will, I want that truck. And one of my older brothers looked at me and said, you ain't getting that one. Get in line, bro. You got us before you. That was a reminder. You are one of the youngest. You have no rights. You have no claim to anything. You are down the line. And as a matter of fact, you serve the others. David with his brothers, remember? Go find out, I mean, sorry, Joseph with his brothers. Go find out what your brothers are doing. Go serve them. He was one of the younger ones. So he says, if you want to be great, be as the youngest. Whoa. What does he mean? Not seeking status because you know you don't have any. Not seeking position. Not trying to lay, lay claim to something materially. Not trying to have people notice you because they're not paying attention to you anyway. Be as the youngest. And those that want to be the leader, serve. What did Jesus do when he was with them? He says that. He said, and John, if you call me master and teacher, and if I being teacher and master can serve, what can you do? Then he leans in here, and we see he says, verse 27, for who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Now he's hitting back on their culture. He says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? And he could have been referring to himself, too, because he was. But I am among you as the one, not as one, as the one who serves. What he was telling them, I'm the greatest at this table. 
And even the other guests are the ones that recline at the table. And they usually have others coming around to serve them in your culture, in your society. Who's considered the greatest? The people that are being served. And he says, but I am among you as the one who serves. He is the one. He is the greatest. And the greatest disrobed and served. And he says to us, that is the picture of greatness in the kingdom. Giving with no expectation. Wanting to look out for the needs of others and serving it regardless of how menial a job it is and how, and, and how unrecognized you go because that's not your focal point anyway. He said, that is kingdom mindset. In essence, so who is the greatest? He says, I am, but I'm the one who serves. What did Jesus say earlier in his ministry? He says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You understand, God in flesh could have come easily to be served because he was the highest one ranking wherever he was, because this earth is his, as God in the flesh. And yet, he said, I came to serve. And how would he serve? First of all, by ransoming, by, by rescuing us from sin, by going to the cross, paying that penalty, so that we would be forgiven and thus freed and thus now we can go and serve, not we can go and be great. See, we're too busy trying to measure our life based on this world's standard and Jesus is trying to tell us, forget their standard. It's backwards. It's warped. The kingdom is reversed. You want greatness? Don't think about it. You want to be first, be last. You want to lead, serve. And our society doesn't like that. Does it? And so you have to understand that when you live like that, people will look at you cross-eyed. They don't know Christ. Because they're like, like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you demand? Why don't you? Why don't you? I'll never forget it. One of the funerals we had here. It was just kind of an interesting take. I I noticed thing. I, I was growing up being a very observant people. You grow up in a city like Brooklyn, New York, you better be. And I grew up being very observant. And I remember in the funeral we were trying to put out some cones and I was cold and I, you know, um, put on my hat and stuff and did that. And I was running around just helping out how I could. And um, one of the people at the funeral home was saying, um, I need to, um, we need to meet the pastor. We need to see the pastor. And I walked over and said, hi, I'm the pastor. And the look on her face, because she had saw what I had been doing. She was like, pastor? I said, yes. And it taught me something that day. I was like, her expectation was that I probably wouldn't be doing that. And I would say to you and I, and I know this is a story that makes me look good. That's not why I'm actually trying to do that, guys. I learned that day, oh, this wasn't included in the job description. 
in her eyes. But in God's eyes, he's like, did it need to be done? Do it. And don't think anything of it. Don't pat yourself on the back because of it. The issue becomes in the kingdom of God, there's only one goat. And he's the one that caused the kingdom to come by his death, by his burial, and by his resurrection. They were asking the wrong question. Who is the greatest? He was sitting right there with you. That's who the greatest is, what they should have been. And remember, he didn't say who's greatest. He said, those that are great among you, whom God considers to be those that are acting in the character of the great one, do what the great one did. That's why John got it at the end in his letter when he said, When he said, oh, my gosh, it just, it just went out. I got to turn it now. First John. It just left. And because I didn't write that one down, and that's what I get. Because I was thinking about it last night. And you know what? If I don't get it, then it's like God's like, no, that's okay. You need to share that. Give me just a moment. Ah, can't believe that. Gone. Just like that. Anyway. Jesus is calling you and I to this. Here's what he's calling us. He exemplified all of what he taught. You realize that? When he was calling for the one who is to be, the one is great serves, he did. He said he gave his life for many. He said he sacrificed himself. In essence, he served, he, he, he made himself of no reputation. He didn't think being equal with God a thing to be grasped or to be to hold on to that and to make you know it. He allowed people to say stuff to him like, if you be the son of God, save yourself. Come down. Or he endured the slap during that week in, in, in his trial and the mocking of, you know, who hit you? Prophesy. See, me, I would have been like, who ended your life? Prophesy. Because with one thought, that man was done. Unplugged from the matrix. That's how I think. If you remember that, click. But that's not Jesus. Greatness. He exemplified all of what he taught. And then his example was on full display in his life, even up into the cross. And so he says to us, you want to be great? I love that. You want to be great? He said, watch me, and I'll show you what greatness is. And so for us today, I have some questions for us. When will we cease wondering if we will be regarded as great and begin to live as great people under the great one. When? When will we begin to allow Jesus to be great in our life and thus we are low, always looking to serve him because of what he has done for us? 
Wow. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That speaks of the kind of greatness that Jesus calls for with you and I. So in this anniversary, I'm going to charge us. Let's not try to be great, individually or collectively. Let's try to recognize the greatness of Jesus Christ and live under the great one, serving as the great one did. And then God will regard you as great, regardless of how men regard you. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because the greatest one, when God says you're great, it doesn't matter who else says you are or are not. And whether they treat you great or not doesn't even matter. Whether they honor you as great doesn't matter. And some will. And you know what? Some of you will be regarded as great because of what you do, because of how you live. And maybe because of the resources and the way that you use them, some people will look at you and regard you as great. Nothing wrong with that. You just weren't looking for it. You just weren't trying to find it. All you were wanting to do is to serve under the great one. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, you are great. You and you alone. Father, you the great in Christ, served, giving up your life that we could come to you and even walk and serve in your, in your ministry, in your family, in your kingdom. Father, I pray that we would not seek greatness, but that we would always look to do a great work under the great one, giving everything we have. And Father, if in the process we are regarded as great, we turn and give you credit and glory. Father, you give us things like all that we put our hands, all that we do due to the, due to the glory of God, everything we do, so that you are seen as you are great. Father, I pray that we would not slack up. This is not a message about slacking. This is a message about leaning in and serving with all we have, giving everything we have because we are doing it for the greatest. I pray that we would not ask the question, will we be considered great in this world, in this society, but Lord, that we would live in such a way that you would approve that we're living in greatness according to your will and way. Help us, God. Help us to fight that temptation to be great. Knowing that when you shine a light on us, oh, people will see us, but we really want them to see you. Let that be, Father, in Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.